This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hi, I'm Molly Jongfast, no relationship to Kim Jong-un. I'm a left-wing pundit and a writer at The Atlantic and Vogue. And I'm Andy Levy, former Fox News and CNN HLN guy and current cable news conscientious objector. And I'm producer Jesse Cannon, and I'm here to make sure things don't go too far off the rails. We're here to have fun, smart conversations with the wisest and funniest people in science and media and politics that help make what's happening today clearer. Our world has been turned upside down, and on The New Abnormal, we'll talk about the people who got us into this mess and how we'll hopefully get ourselves out of it. What a great show we have today. Daily Beast columnist and former Supreme Court Justice Clerk Jane Michelson will join us to talk about the leak of the court overturning Roe versus Wade. Then we'll be joined by President Joe Biden's sister and his former campaign manager, Valerie Biden-Owens, who's going to give us a perspective about the role she's had alongside the president, as well as her new book, Growing Up Biden, a memoir. But first, let's have some fun. Andy Levy. Molly Jongfest. After we taped this podcast earlier in the week, as often happens, news broke. Yeah. I have to say, like, (laughs) that is the podcaster's curse. May you never live in times where the news cycle moves so quickly (laughs) that you can be completely out of date two days later. Definitely the worst thing about that news was that it broke after our podcast. Yes, clearly the worst. Fascinating and totally, I think, not unexpected, but completely uh, mind-blowing, in my mind, thing. Monday night, Politico publishes, and good on Politico, because we are not— Easy on them. And this was a humongous scoop. Politico, Josh Gerstein, who covers the courts, publishes a leaked draft of an opinion written by, I want to say the worst person in the world, Justice Alito, which says that uh, they're planning to overturn Roe v. Wade. I don't even know if he's the worst person on that court. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I guess Thomas. And Justice Handmaiden. But I think it's pretty close. Yeah. The decision was filled with pretty disturbing stuff. But I have to say, like, you know, it, you know, it, it was based it, a lot of Republican crazy in there. 96 pages of Fox, not quite Fox News, but there's a lot of Bible, st- you know, religious stuff. I mean, yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty amazing. Yeah, I mean, it was, you know, straight out of the Federalist Society playbook, which is sort of like the smarter version of Fox News, I think. Yeah, I think it's the Wall Street Journal opinion page part of Fox News. Right. <laughs> yeah. We're now apparently close to living in a in a post-Row world. In June, when they go on vacation, we hold that Roe and Casey must be overruled. The Constitution makes no reference to abortion. So the Constitution doesn't mention abortion, and ergo, uh, they should overrule it. I mean, 
it's like being in a anyway. Continue. I'm sorry. It's very infuriating. Yeah. No. Uh, look, the Constitution also doesn't mention women in its original form. So I think we need to take a serious look at a lot of things we're doing these days and realize that a, lo- a lot of a lot of things are not mentioned in the Constitution, uh, and we need to get rid of them. It was a holy shit moment, but it was also like, well. It's not like we didn't have a clue that this is where they wanted to go, despite Kavanaugh and uh, Gorsuch and I think Coney Barrett's protestations uh, otherwise. Right, that they weren't going to. Literally all of them, when they were in their hearings, said that they weren't, wouldn't overturn Roe and that it was super precedent and that Roe v. Wade is an important precedent of the Supreme Court. Said Alito, it's the law of the land. I accept the law of the land. It's right. settled precedent of the Supreme Court. Even Justice Handmaiden, Roe versus Wade clearly held that the Constitution protected a woman's right to terminate a pregnancy. But that seems all to be gone now. Yeah. And the worst part of this is they lied to Susan Collins. <laughs> I mean, you know, she is obviously, she has concerns now it's just amazing though because like we knew they weren't telling the truth when they said this stuff what can you do besides say well no you, you're that's not you're, you're not telling the truth it's enough for the senators and that's all that matters it's just it's so frustrating <laughs> and I, it's, it's, it's like i mean i'm a guy and this is like frustrating for me i can't i honestly i won't even pretend to imagine what it's like for women to have to deal with this because I just know how frustrating it is for me. And I'm sitting here going, you know, well, what countries do I need to be looking at? Well, I mean, what I think is important and I think is not necessarily something we've talked about um, is that this is going to create enormous divides between the states. So you're I don't I think it's very unlikely that you ever won't be able to get an abortion in California or New York. Now, right. I, I don't think that does any good for the number of poor women or middle class women who are living in the middle of the country and would have to lose a day of work and hundreds of dollars and drive to a place they've never been to have a procedure they've never had. I mean, so I'm not defending this in any way, but of I'm course. just saying we're about to have a country that has radically different laws in radically different states. And and I think Republicans are extremely excited about that. I don't think they've completely explored all the consequences. The third rail of political commentary is we never talk about the elephant in the room, which is like how this country stays together when it has such incredibly disparate fragments when you have a country that looks like this. I mean, I just wonder if the laws are so different, how you can do that. Yeah. And, and, and it, you know what, it might be a lot more than a hundred miles they have to, or hundreds of miles that they have to drive. If you, you get, you get a cluster of states. Between Texas and Louisiana and the South. Yeah. Yeah. Or like, you know, if you get all of like the Midwest, you know, you're talking about, you could end up having to drive a thousand miles to get an, if, if the state will let you do that, because some of these states are, you know, somehow think it's okay to say you can't go out of state to get an abortion, which how that's legal is beyond me. But And how that's enforceable is baffling to me. Yeah. But we've got, I think there were 13 states that have trigger laws that say that the minute Roe is invalidated, abortion will be illegal in those states. I always thought that too, but it turns out that those laws have to be reinstated. So it's likely that they, it won't actually be like the day of, but they'll get in there quickly. Right. But, but they will be reinstated. Yeah. No question. Yeah. So we know there are 13 states that like right off the bat 
will just completely criminalize abortion. And now we've got, there's a bill advancing in Louisiana that would uh, charge, uh, that would make uh, abortion a homicide. Right. It would make fetuses people and would make abortion a homicide and also miscarriage, right? Because you couldn't necessarily tell. Right. Well, you'd have to prove, you'd have to then go into court after the horrible experience of having a miscarriage and prove that it was a miscarriage, which, you know, seems like a lovely thing for women to have to do. But I think what's what's really important here, too, and I think worth thinking about is that you're going to have governorship races that will control. A good example is a state like Virginia just elected Youngkin. Youngkin is a very conservative Republican, even though he advertised himself not to be. Virginia is a very pro-choice state. I mean, right. you're going to have states where they they end up electing a Republican and losing the right to choose. Yeah, I'm not going to use civil war rhetoric because I think that's probably that's overblown. But this may be the closest to that sort of situation, as you pointed out, where, where it's going to be these sort of disparate things where what is perfectly legal in one state may be homicide in another state. The bills like the one in Louisiana get through. That's a big difference than, well, you know smoking, you know, or having an ounce of weed is legal or having an ounce of weed means you pay a fine, which is, you know, sort of where we are now or whatever. This is not that. This is the the range of penalties for abortions is going to be so vast that it's it's just going to be, you know, you're going to you're going to need a GPS to make sure that the difference between what you're doing is 100% legal and, you know, could end up with you in jail for 20 years to life. And that is just such a bizarre world that we're going to find ourselves in. And it, it's it's just, I, I yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know how this works. No, I agree. I mean, I think it is uncharted waters. And I don't think that I'm going to go out on a limb here and say Republicans are so hot to ban abortion. They don't understand the consequences. And again, if you look at this Alito, and again, this is just your draft and we talk about this as a draft, but this is about blowing up privacy. And privacy is same-sex marriage and same-sex relationships and birth control and all sorts. You know, it's opening the door to all sorts of stuff, which certainly a lot of Republicans, you know, will go along with that. But I don't think they realize, like, the kind of trouble this is going to cause for everyone. Yeah. And there's a bunch of them trying to sort of tamp down on that on that stuff. There's, uh, you know, Ramesh Panuru over at uh, National Review. Or, or, yeah, I guess he's from that. National Review, but he wrote at Bloomberg that he says the end of Roe won't mean a national abortion ban or an end to Griswold or Lawrence or Obergefell, which is, of course, all those privacy and gay marriage stuff that you talked about. And it's just like, you may believe that, but I don't believe that. And I don't I don't believe that they're not going to try. And we've already seen, you know, the Ben Shapiro's of the world saying that gay marriage should be next. I think the way we got here originally was by people telling us that not to worry, that right, Roe would always stand. And I mean, when Trump was elected, people said, don't be so hysterical. You'll always have Roe. He's not going to overturn abortion. He was pro-choice five years ago. You know, remember that? He paid for abortions. <laughs> 
again, this is like with the Republican Party. They don't necessarily care if you're gay. They just want you to support the anti-LGBTQ legislation. Yeah, but they're being very scorpion convincing the frog to let them ride across the river because, oh, well, we, we all have to get across the river. And then obviously, as the fable goes, the scorpion stings the frog and they both die. They always do this, though. I know. The sheer amount of stuff out there from the people saying, oh, you're being, I mean, you know, well, they love to use the word hysterical to begin with. Alito seems to, in in the opinion, he's got a little paragraph sort of distinguishing in his mind, Roe from all those other decisions, but it's just not believable. Why should you give him the benefit of the doubt? You shouldn't. You know, even in this draft decision, he tries to single out Roe from all these other Supreme Court rulings. And it just, it doesn't fly because ultimately the logic is the same. These are not, you know, the right to gay marriage was not uh, codified in in the Constitution, and it was not it is not a long held thing in this country. And you know, for that matter, neither is mixed marriage or whatever you want to call it, interracial marriage. Yeah, you know, marriage between white people and black people, whatever, which was illegal in this country in so many places up until not all that long ago. And you recently had a Republican senator say that he wasn't comfortable with, I mean, he said that interracial marriage should be up to the states. I mean, I think we can agree that up to the states means that they want it not protected, <laughs> which is sort of amazing. I mean, states' rights goes, you know, that, that was, that's, that they still claim that's what the Civil War was about. Right. So they make it very clear that if the Civil War was about states' rights, then they have no problem with the states allowing slavery. So, yes, it's it's entirely clear anytime I hear a states' rights argument. Right, you know they're full of shit. Yeah, it's always about taking rights away from people in those states. It's never about advance, you know, it's never about giving people more rights in those states. That's that's not a concern. I, that has never been a concern. But millions of people have these stories, but my great-grandmother died at the age of 37, obviously I never knew her, from getting an illegal abortion. My maternal grandmother ended up basically having to raise her four sisters because there were already five of them in the family at this point. And back in those days, my great-grandfather certainly wasn't raising the kids. So it, it fell to my grandmother at the age of, I think she was 16 or 17. She basically had to radically change her life and raise her other sisters. And apparently that's what we want to go back to. I think it's important to mention that, you know, most of these women who want abortions, it's because they have many children and because they can't handle more, you know, just like your great-grandmother. I mean, not that it matters and it shouldn't matter right. who's getting an abortion and you should have bodily autonomy over your own body. But the Republicans are painting this as like sort of an easy decision. And for a lot of people, it's the difference between falling beneath the poverty line or not. It's the difference between being able to, you know, stay in your house or stay in your job. I mean, and again, I, I read actually Margaret Sullivan, my mentor, had a very smart piece in in the Washington Post today about how the media has really failed on this conversation. And every time we say the term pro-life, we're failing, right? Because a five-celled organism is not a life, right? Even cardiac activity, most doctors would say, that's not a heart. You know, it's the size of a fingernail. Yeah. I mean, the whole terminology we use here is just, honestly, I don't even like pro-choice. I've, I'm just, I've just started saying I'm pro-abortion and I don't care if people think that that's weird. It's like, 
all I mean by that is I think if a woman wants to get an abortion, she be she should be able to get an abortion. So I guess it means the same thing as pro-choice, but pro-choice just to me sounds, I don't know. I'm just at the point where, and again, I'm perfectly willing to be convinced otherwise in that, you know, maybe it does more harm than good to phrase things a certain way. Yeah. I mean, either way, I think what what's important here is that this is about control and power, and this is about women losing a right that they've had for 50 years. Yeah, absolutely. And not to minimize how bad this is on its own, obviously, we've been talking about how bad this is, but I also do think it is very much a foot in the door for people who want to roll back. And even if Alito isn't one of those people, maybe he genuinely isn't. Like you said, I don't particularly want to give him the benefit of the doubt, but Sure. Let, if, if we are going to give him the benefit of the doubt and he really does think that Roe is such a singular you know, problem that had to be dealt with, okay, fine. There are a lot of people that don't feel that way and that want right. these other rulings rolled back so that it is not the law of the land that gay people can get married and it is not the law of the land that people have a right to birth control and it is not the law of the land that people can engage in consensual sexual activities in the privacy of their own home without the government storming in and arresting them. You know, those are the people that are going to be emboldened by this. Those are the people who are going to look at this and say, hey, we got this one. Let's move on to the next one. They're not just going to quietly say, well, we got Roe, so we don't really care about Griswold and Lawrence v. Texas and all that. No, this is a victory for them. When you win, what do you do? You keep going. You don't pull out. No pun intended for this discussion, but right. But I also think I think it's it shows a very emboldened Supreme Court that is going to right if they all take yes. a right away after fifty years, months after three of the justices promised us that they were starry decisis or super precedent. Then yeah. what else will they do? And I think ultimately that's what's really scary. Yeah, I I would assume things like Brown v. Board of Education are safe. You know, right. But I wouldn't assume anything is safe. But I mean, who the hell knows? Look, if it's states, you know, hey, maybe it should be up to the state to decide whether black students are entitled to an equal education. Or maybe it should be up to the state to decide, you know, if you should be able to get a gun. Yeah. Well, why should you have the right to have an assault let's, weapon? Let's not, weapon, go, but let's not, not get crazy. Here, right. Let's, exactly. Let's not get crazy. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. When picking a commerce platform for your business, you have two choices. Or. I prefer. Don't you? 
That's the sound you'll hear when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell, online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Shopify is the best all-in-one commerce platform capable of handling your business's complexity no matter how big you grow. Step up to Shopify and harness the best converting checkout and the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands like Rothy's, Allbirds, Brooklinen, and so much more. You're probably thinking, sure, but migrating is going to be a headache. Shopify's app store has the migration apps you need to migrate your products, orders, customers, and more from every major e-commerce platform to Shopify. If you're anything like me, you're one of those don't put me in a box people. Everyone who knows me knows. I'm a don't put me in a box person. And thankfully, Shopify never will, because with Shopify, control of your brand and business is always in your hands, from your storefront look to your back office operations. I hate when checking out from an online store and then having to pull out my credit card and type in all those numbers. A Shopify store remembers my shipping address and payment information. So if I'm on the couch and my wallet is on the kitchen counter... I don't even have to get up. Stop leaving sales on the table. Switch your business to Shopify and discover why millions trust Shopify as their all-in-one commerce platform to build, grow, and run their business. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash abnormal, all lowercase. That's one month for just $1 at shopify.com slash abnormal, all lowercase. Shopify.com slash abnormal. Jay Michelson is a Daily Beast columnist and former Supreme Court justice clerk. Welcome to the new abnormal, Jay Michelson. This is like the new, new, new abnormal today. It's the new, new, new post-row abnormal. More abnormal than before. Yeah, what the hell happened? (laughs) Well, it's, you know, this is like the article I wrote for the Daily Beast was almost titled, I Told You So which, you know, we wisely decided not to do because for people who follow the court obsessively, this is zero percent surprising, but obviously it should be shocking and it is shocking for everybody. But for people, you know, this was like the writing's been on the wall for for years, if not decades. Oh, yeah. I thought when SBA went to the court and they let it stand on the, and they didn't even really look at it and they let it stand on the shadow docket and it was you know, allowed to continue in the beginning of September. I thought that's it. They're going to overturn Roe. Is that when you thought it or was there something else? I did think that because, you know, obviously we know that the three Trump justices, Gorsuch, Barrett and Kavanaugh were put on there for this purpose, but we don't know what they're going to do until they do it. But that was such a bizarre action, right? I mean, that law in Texas is so strange with the vigilante provision, you know, obviously with terms. And so to let that stand, that really was abnormal, right? I mean, that was just not conceivable even a couple of years ago. And it's funny, now that seems like ancient history, like, oh, how quaint when they didn't give an injunction to an abortion, you know, abortion ban. Now they're just going to allow everyone. But I agree. I think like that was so weird that that got left on. Right. That really was a sign. Yeah. Because that Texas law, I mean, there were conservatives who were horrified by that Texas law because of the bounties and the way in which it deputized citizens to uh, to sue each other. I mean, a lot of conservatives, I mean, think about like the party of small government all of a sudden has hundreds of thousands of little deputies who can sue you for doing something they don't like. Now that's like Marilyn Monroe's dress, right? Now everybody's wearing it, right? So now 
that that's true. That's true in Florida, right? The Florida mm-hmm. don't say gay law has a vigilante provision. Yeah. Oklahoma just passed an abortion law that's a, a carbon copy of Texas with a vigilante provision. You know, in a way, it's just sort of weird. But then if you really think about what we see on Fox News and January 6th and what we've seen at school board meetings and part of the weird part of this history will be the role of the pandemic in all of this, right? Like some of this kind of pitchfork citizen activism really got going around COVID and especially at school boards. And so obviously it marries into, you know, 40 years of Christian right hysteria, theocracy and extremism, but it also draws on this very recent rage where citizens just feel empowered, you know, like I remember when when Pizzagate happened and like that one guy brought the gun to Comet Ping Pong. Yeah, and yeah, we're yeah. Like, well, this is crazy. And that's now enshrined in law. I mean, that's now that that's behind all of these laws. Well, you saw and I mean, I remember the pictures of the Michigan militia going to the state house with all the guns. I mean, that's sort of now considered to be right-wing activism. I, I want to circle back for a minute. So, yeah, SB8, I think, will be looked at as sort of the for, the foray into this. But the clerk who was involved in crafting this legislation had a Supreme Court history. Am I right? That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, that that is true. And I think there is also... Didn't he clerk for Scalia? Is that right? I think you're better prepared for this conversation than I <laughs> I know that the clerk who ultimately has been sort of the brainchild of a lot of these legislations and certainly, you know, it's set up in a way so that you can't stop the bill. But I know that he had clerked for some conservative justice before. What's weird about this, so I'm not one of the, you know, it's like really fashionable in our business to like bash the Democrats for not doing enough, like blah, 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 instead of taking responsibility for voters not electing enough Democrats, which is where I think really we should be looking But in this particular case, you know, there were all these threats like Gavin Newsom in California were like, well, we're going to do the same thing as Texas did, but for guns. And like that hasn't happened. I think if it is going to be fought this way on one side where citizens are going to be deputized to write rat on each other and sue each other and do whatever, then that should be a two way battle. And, you know, we're even having trouble getting Alex Jones held accountable for Sandy, you know, for, for, for anything, let alone the gun manufacturers, let alone, you know, so it is this case where this kind of weird chess move that nobody really saw coming, which is the vigilante provision. That's something that should be played on both sides, not just on one. Right. No question. No, there is. I mean, like I was doing this interview with this French news station and they were saying, well, what could Biden do? And Biden could do anything he wants. He could pass an executive order. He could pack the courts. He could. I mean, there are endless numbers of things Democrats could do right now while they hold the levers of power that they won't necessarily be able to do in November if they lose. So, you know, it's just a question of the Democrats feel tasked with, you know, I think they're worried that if they're too aggressive, they will undermine Democratic norms. Now, I don't think that's right, but I think that is the thinking. So first of all, this is really just Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema, right? All the other 48 Democratic senators are ready to do away with the uh, with the filibuster. You know, and Joe Manchin's like, oh, this is the only thing keeping our democracy. Does he really believe that in January, when Mitch McConnell is running the Senate again, that Mitch McConnell's not going to do away with the filibuster? As soon as they seize power, it's going to go anyway. This is like a charade yeah. that the filibuster is going to last. I mean, they can make a cutout for the filibuster. They could right. put it in reconciliation. I mean, Republicans had 
Recon- you know, had Arctic drilling and reconciliation. When Republicans found a parliamentarian that didn't agree with what they wanted, they fired the parliamentarian. I mean, there is always a fucking way. Like, this system is very smushy, and there's a lot of opportunities to do crazy shit. And this is, you know, the, I think it hasn't been talked about yet because I haven't written the brilliant piece, which is going to set this out. But what's the the only good result of this moment in, in our history is that this opinion basically never sees the light of day. If the Democrats could get their shit together and pass a national abortion rights bill within the next month, right? That's what they have. The Supreme Court case, the Mississippi law will be moot, right? That case will be moot. It will be not proper for the Supreme Court to decide it. And that will be Chief Justice Roberts's decision, basically, right? So it's not gonna be up to the the other five conservatives. It's gonna be up to the Chief Justice to decide whether to then say, oh, maybe our case is moot because the law that we're looking at has now been, you know, is now over overturned basically because of the supremacy clause by a federal law. So it, the best result is actually achievable, which is to have a national reproductive rights bill, which we should have had a decade ago or two decades ago, right? This is ridiculous that like on this one particular issue, Right. We leave things to the states. That's not what what we did with the civil rights law. That's not what we did with a lot of laws. Right. Like we have plenty of laws which take precedence over states doing bad things. And this should be one of those. Yes. I mean, for sure. And the other thing I think that is really important that we're not talking about is that Republicans know they have a loser here. That's right. They know 70 percent or 60 something percent of Americans believe they don't want Roe overturned. So like. This is a very small, very religious minority that is already going to vote for Trump. I mean, these people. So, you know, they know this is not a suburban winning issue. I don't know what that ultimately means, but it does seem like an important data point. No, it's huge. I mean, I think, you know, the the New York Times actually just did a sort of depressing analysis of where, you know, which districts would really be in play. And it was fewer than maybe we thought, but certainly many are right and if we had just a slight increase you know in voter participation for voters under 30 for example this would be over like we would not be discussing the republican takeover in 2022 we would be discussing like will it be the aoc wing of the democrats versus the moderate wing like right so if this actually inspires young people and and sort of basically white Republican women from the suburbs to you know clutch their pearls like Susan Collins and say, this, I'm totally shocked. I can't believe that the big bad wolf told Little Red Riding Hood a lie. That's unbelievable, right? Like right, right, if right. the more that could happen, like that can actually swing both the suburbs and the sort of younger voters who typically sit out these midterm elections. Right. And I mean, I think also it's important to realize like this is, you know, there will be this is about an abortion bill. This is about, you know, this is about the abortion pills. This is about like there are so this will not end with. And again, I mean, and I'd like to talk to you about this in this Alito opinion. He's really starting to chip away at privacy. Can you talk a little bit about that? Starting to chip away. He's not starting to chip away. He's he's over. He's destroying the entire thing. Right. Like he's chipping away. This is like a like a, a bulldozer coming in and knocking over the whole house. So let's talk about what privacy means. Sure. So as a caveat, this is one place where the fact that this is a draft opinion, I think, is relevant. Right. So when you're writing a draft, you know, it's a negotiation and he knows he knows he's not going to get the chief uh, chief justice. But he does know that he could get Kavanaugh with him, who's a little less crazy than the other crazies, which is, of course, this great irony that it's right. Justice Kavanaugh is going to be the defender of the rights of women. By the way, do you think that Kavanaugh is the least of the three new justices. He's the least crazy and not Gorsuch. 
Yeah, well, so it depends what we mean by crazy, which probably isn't a word we should use too much anyway. But on religious issues, Kavanaugh is much less extreme than Gorsuch. Gorsuch is quirky, right? He has he's unpredictable and he likes being that way. Like that's clearly, you know, with his like folksy demeanor and silly stories at the at the arguments and like and, you know, with the trans opinion that he wrote, obviously, which was very surprising. So, you know, he, that's his brand, basically funny it's like supreme court justices as instagram influencers right exactly as instagram influencers i think we've seen the title you know alito's brand is i am justice scalia i am scalito right i am scalia i am arrogant i am so smart i am way smarter than all of you even though i'm not really that smart but i sound really smart so i'm going to say that i'm smart and Kavanaugh is a little bit more moderate. It's too early to say for Justice right. Barrett, really. She hasn't had a... Yeah, but I think we can assume that Justice Handmaiden is going to vote. <laughs> well, on the other hand, if you look at that, there was a case last year about gay adoption in Philadelphia, right? So Philadelphia didn't want to contract with a Catholic, I believe it's Catholic. Yeah, yeah, because they wouldn't allow gay adoption. Yeah, there was a, there was social services that wouldn't allow gay, right? That was surprisingly, so we actually, that was like a loss, but a much smaller loss than we expected. And that was because of this surprising Kind of position of Kavanaugh and Barrett. Which was what? Well, so they could have basically, they're also similar to this, actually, it's very similar. You know, there was the opinion that, that Alito either wrote or joined, which knocked down the entire idea that, you know, there could ever be any law that could regulate religion, basically. I'm exaggerating a little, but not that much. He really sucks. Yeah, pretty much. And then the more moderate view, which in this case would be, okay, we can allow this ban, but not, but keep Roe in place, basically. The more moderate right. view in that adoption case was the one that Kavanaugh and Barrett actually ended up taking, and Chief Justice Roberts. Like, that in this particular case, Philadelphia does have to, they were discriminating against this religious adoption agency, but we're not going to junk the whole edifice. We're not going to throw out every precedent that we've had for 40 years. Which is exactly that is a very similar case to what, what there is now. So, you know, all this to say that like like Alito's draft is staking out a negotiating position. Right. So like imagine you're in like some, you know, I, I spent a lot of time in Israel. Like, you, you know, we're in a Middle Eastern marketplace where you want 100 shekels for that rug. I'll give you 20 shekels. Right. So right, like right, right. that's this is the 100 shekel position that's that Alito has put out. But it is true that it completely annihilates the right to privacy. It says it doesn't exist. And it doesn't have any basis. And that is the basis also for same sex for marriage equality, one of the bases anyway. It's the basis for federal right to contraception, meaning the government can't regulate your own body when you're deciding how to have sex. And it's also it is also the basis. This has been exaggerated or like whatever, but it is the basis for the federal right to to enter to interracial marriage as well. Right. And also birth control, right? Contraception, Greenwald. Right. So the right to the privacy is the basis for all of these constitutional rights. And Alito saying, well, it's, it doesn't say privacy or abortion in the Constitution. It doesn't say a lot of things in the Constitution. It doesn't say uterus. It doesn't say women in the Constitution, right? It doesn't say, right. There's a lot of things that aren't in the, right? The idea is that when you look at due process, right, there is no process that can be due for the government regulating a woman's body and getting inside of somebody's uterus. That's there's no way to do that. Like you know, we can call it privacy. And that is one of the you know, that's a word that was in the Roe opinion. But if you actually read Roe versus Wade, which I reread it uh, just, you know, over the weekend, like it does, it says clearly like it's not a, a, a sort of made up thing. It's, you know, in if you look at the Ninth Amendment and the 14th Amendment, there is an idea that there is a zone 
of personal life that the government can't regulate, like hands off of our bodies, basically, is a constitutional norm. So for Alito to say, well, it doesn't say that in the Constitution, and then to cite a bunch of you know, ancient precedents of people who also thought that there could be no marital rape. Right. And didn't he he didn't he cite this religious guy, too? He cites so he cites a number of authorities, which is always first of all, obviously, those are all cherry picked. Right. So you could also cite if you wanted that in 1971 and 72, Christianity Today, that sort of Christian right, conservative Christian right magazine had a forum where everybody agreed. All the Protestants were like, no, of course, life begins at birth not conception. Here are all of the here are all the biblical verses that support that. We could put in the show notes, there's a great article at a magazine called Religion Dispatches by an author named Jonathan Dudley, just quoting all of these conservative evangelicals from the 60s and 70s saying, no, 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 life definitely does not begin at conception, life begins at birth, and also the government shouldn't be making these kinds of you know, all of a sudden there was a change in the 70s and the 80s. But the, so whenever you see those kinds of selective quotations, just, you know, obviously it's who's being selected. Right. And he's selecting religious authorities who have no business being in the Supreme Court opinion for right, right. stating religious principles. And, right. you know, this is basically the idea that life begins at conception is a religious idea. People are entitled to hold that view. Right. There's that pin, you know, if you're against abortion, don't have one. Fine. If you believe that life begins at conception, that's your business. And if you're a preacher who believes that, preach it, right? Tell people not to get abortions. But that's not the same as the government, right? Enforcing these religious ideas on everybody. There is no secular basis for the idea that life begins at conception. And obviously, scientifically, that makes no sense. Like an, an embryo is not a fetus, is not a baby. A fetal heartbeat is neither a heartbeat nor a fetus. I mean, all of like, it's just fantasy land to cloak a religious dogma that's being pushed on people. And that the Supreme Court, many of whose members have said that they believe in that dogma themselves, right? They have that religious belief. They see nothing wrong with that. Speak for yourself, man. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, good point. And also, Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for joining us. That's a good place to end because it's that dude's fault. <laughs> yeah, fuckity fuckers, man. Valerie Biden-Owens is President Joe Biden's sister, as well as his former campaign manager and author of the new memoir, Growing Up Biden, a memoir. Welcome to the new abnormal, Valerie Biden-Owens. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. We're so happy to have you. So I've been listening to your book on audio, which is actually really fun. And I wanted to talk to you about you have been your brother's campaign manager for all of his runs, except for this one, right? Correct. And this one, I was the national co-chair. And the reason, and to use a sporting analogy, I didn't hang up my spikes because I quit. I hung up my spikes so I could put on combat boots and hit the ground running because that's what I thought I needed in this 2020 election. So I wanted to be out and in the field as much as I could and meet as many people as I could. So I spent my time in Iowa, New Hampshire and uh, South Carolina a little bit and, and Nevada so that it, I didn't have to be in headquarters worrying about 
everything else that headquarters campaign managers have to worry about. I'd love to talk to you about his first run, because that is a really interesting story that I feel like doesn't quite get enough attention. Will you talk about that first Senate run in Delaware in the 70s? Sure. We ran uh, our first run was 1972. Joe was 29 years old uh, when he was elected. It was too young to be elected constitutionally. I was 26. I was a teacher at Wilmington Friends School, and the press dubbed us the Children's Crusade. So in 1972, Molly, there was a really combustible relationship between youth and the issues that were at hand. We ran because for civil rights against the war in Vietnam and to protect the planet Earth. We were one of the very first campaigns to ever talk about the environment. We had no money. We had no influence. We knew no one in power. Our Democratic Party was in disarray here in in Delaware. We were running against a man who was twice governor, three times Congress, and was running for his third term for Senate in the Nixon landslide election year against McGovern. So, you know, there's a, a value to not knowing what you don't know. And we didn't know what we weren't supposed to do. So we just jumped in. The man that we ran against was a gentleman beloved by the state, but wasn't pushing the issues that that my brother thought had to be addressed, specifically the three that I that I just mentioned. I taught school. I taught upper school and uh, nine through 12. I brought Joe in for an assembly to meet the kids and they connected. And they because we didn't have money we, uh, to deliver or mail fancy brochures, these kids from Labor Day weekend to the election day, six weeks, hand delivered 150,000 tabloids each weekend to the state of Delaware. And all through the summer, they were our volunteers. I'd call and 10 kids would show up and we'd leaflet and march in parades next to Joe. And it was, as I said, the, the press called us the children's crusade. And one Quick thing, Molly, you know, that when parents think we influence our children, then we we certainly do some. But children influence their parents more. And when these Republican parents, bastion of Republicanism, where I taught, uh, saw their kids get up at six o'clock in the morning to, you know, hand deliver these for this kid, Biden, they said, well, you know, maybe we ought to take a second look at him. And we won by 3,163 votes. And I think it's because these kids showed their parents that there was something to them. And it's also the first year that 18-year-olds could vote, and that helped us too. Yeah, I'd love to talk to you a little bit about that time. It's funny, by the way, I just want to mention my little brother taught at that school in Delaware for a year. Mm. Yeah, and he really enjoyed it. Wow. Yeah, I loved it. Yeah, coincidence. So I want to talk to you about that year, 1972. I know you know Roe it's likely with this draft opinion is going to be overturned or it seems very much. And as a woman, I know my mother is a a feminist writer and she, I think it's particularly heartbreaking to see some of those gains rolled back. I'm curious what your thoughts are. Well, I think that Roe is about basic fairness and justice. And I believe that every woman should have equal access to quality, complete health care. And that includes reproductive rights. I bristle today more than I ever have because um, I, I think this is this is about control. What are these people thinking? I don't believe that the state 
legislature should determine how I take care of myself and my health and the health of women throughout the country. So this is a very critical time. And and as I've, again, I don't comment on the administration and what my brother's doing, but there is, there is a lot more to this than just abortion. It's about civil rights as much as reproductive rights. And, it, and, and it's about the right of privacy, which is what my brother in the Bork hearings in 1987 uh, was so concerned about when when uh, Bork was appointed to the Supreme Court and ultimately was not nominated. And it was on because it was on the pivoted on the issue of privacy, the right to privacy, which I believe we have. It's interesting that he ran on climate in 1972. I mean, that must have been the very one of the very first people to take that as an issue, your campaign. Yeah, yeah. We are the chemical capital of the world. So uh, we're taught in Delaware, little Delaware. And our shoreline is was studded with refineries from Philadelphia to, through Delaware. Our highways uh, were the connecting route I-95 along the East Coast. And Delaware, lastly, is one of the lowest lying states. I think even more so uh, than Florida. I think we're the, the first or second state that will be affected with the water level raising. So we we are very much aware and we've been called the cancer corridor from Delaware, you know, through up to, through New England. We were aware early on and I think I was teaching at friend school at the time when the first Earth Day happened. Uh, and I think it was 1970 or 71 was the first Earth Day. We, we anyway, we, we were part of it. We were aware. Joe's pretty smart guy. So you're called, and you write about this, the Biden whisperer. I have these half-brothers, but I'm largely an only child from my mother's third marriage. I'm curious, it strikes me as that your family is, they are very involved in each other's lives in a nice way. Can you talk about that a little bit? Sure. There are three brothers and me. I'm number two. From the time I opened my eyes, Molly, I mean, um, my brother Joe is three years older than I. I remember his taking my hand and saying, come on, Belle, we got things to do and places to go and people to see. And off we went on our journey. And his friends would say, Joe, why did you bring a girl? And his answer was, she's not a girl. She's my sister. And he told me that whatever he could do, I could do better. I mean, it was that was impossible because he was stronger and bigger and smarter than I was. But he made me believe that I could do whatever he said I could do. And I owed it to him and to myself to try to be that little girl and that woman who grew up. But this all came from mom and dad. Mom and dad told us that uh, we were a gift to one another and we believed it. I mean, I, I said, my brothers are a gift. My husband, I earned. The three pillars of our family were family, faith, and a responsibility to take care of one another. Subsequently, our community. When we walked out of the house, Molly, and the door shut, my mother said, when you walk out of that house, remember you are Biden's. Now, that is not like you are Bidens or you are Kennedys or Whitney's or Rockefeller's. It means you're Bidens, you're four of you, and you take care of each other and you have each other's back. And God forbid if one of us ever turned on it, I mean, hitting each other was out of completely out of the realm of possibility. But if we ever turned on one another, that would have been the, the big, the worst thing that we could have done in our parents' eyes. And we bought a hook, line, and sinker. So you have been in this business, quote unquote, since 1971, right, when you did your brother's first campaign, to now. And I listened to the part about the election. Were you shocked 
at what Trump did after the election? I mean, did you think, I mean, I think a lot of us thought that he would eventually concede. Well, I listened to a couple of your podcasts and I remember uh, one part you're saying, you think he's really going to leave? You think he's really going to leave? You remember that? <laughs> yes. You're so prescient, you know, like I believe that he would hope, I mean, holding up the count was not a surprise, you know, but to continue and it, it appears with the efforts that continued that led to January 6th, whether they were directly his hand or not, but the agitation that was stirred up because of his not doing the correct thing by our constitution and by civility and by dignity and by decency and by honor and integrity, and I can go on. That was the result. I felt in every fiber of my body that this man would stop at nothing to destroy my brother and my family. And in the process, it's bigger than my family. I mean, I believe that his hand has helped diminish and is destroying our democracy. Yeah, I mean, it seems it, it, I mean, that seems really clear. Like we're listening to these tapes now from Jonathan Martin and Alex's book that we're actually talking to them for a different episode, but they were talking about it, listening to these tapes, and you have Mitch McConnell, who I don't think I realized just how trapped he was by Trump. Did you? I spoke to Jonathan's wife, what, a couple of days ago on a, one of these conversations, a Zoom, and I didn't realize that Jonathan's book was, I think it's supposed to be dropped May 3rd. So I ordered it on Amazon. So I have not read it, and I've just heard clips of, uh, 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 on the uh, the news about but what I'm doing, Molly, is for my own mental health. I don't listen to the news that often. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I, <laughs> yes. a funny thing when after Joe was first elected, I went by my husband keeps my husband's Jack. And, you know, he always has the TV on listening to the, the news. And I went and I heard the commentator say the president said and I looked at Jack and I said, so what did the ass say today? <laughs> and the ass was my brother. They were talking about Joe. So when I was talking to, to Betsy about, she was telling me, well, you know, my husband, Jonathan, wrote this new book. I said, well, I'll, you know, I'll have to order it. And, and it's not, it has not arrived yet. Or I just got home last night from, so I don't know, it may be here in this, on the porch, but I can't intelligently comment on it, but I'm anxious. I think I'm anxious to read it. it go either way. So yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I'll, I'll <laughs> let you know in a week. Uh, okay, good. All right. I have one more question for you. You have been in this, in the political business for such a long time. What have you seen that has really surprised you in the change? There's always been a baser element to, you know, human nature and the particular personalities in various degrees, bring it out. And I think it's been a travesty the prior four years with our previous president. But a positive thing that I've seen in politics is that role that women have played. When I started out in 72, politics was completely a man's game. And for the, this is a brushstroke, but there were no women who were consultants, who were a few journalists, a few camp, no campaign managers, or, I mean, again, you'll find one someplace to make but my point is that it was a, a, all man's game. And now we're, we haven't reached critical mass yet, but women are jumping into the game and they are, you know, you got to reach and risk. The balance of power with men and women is shifting. And, you know, the more they get out in the workforce and the more they speak up, the more other women uh, are coming in and helping and mentoring and sponsoring. In my day, in 72, if a woman was successful in 
business or politics or whatever her line was, you know, there was one slot and she kept that slot and she didn't help anybody else, any other. We were not our sister's keeper. And to a much greater extent, that's what we're doing through mentoring and sponsoring. And I'll end with this. I could keep going because I'm a Biden. This <laughs> phrase, which drives me crazy a little bit, is that, you know, we're now in the age of empowering women. Hell, we don't need to be empowered. We are power. Think of it, Molly. We are the, the significant cog in the chain of humanity. I mean, without us, nothing happens. I mean, you know, we are the vital cog in this world and we were born leaders and what we need is opportunity. And that's what we, that's what we got to work for the, the opportunity, but we have the power. We are the ultimate teachers and we are the ultimate leaders. Thank you so much. Thanks, Molly. Andy. Molly. <laughs> Who is your fuck that guy? Uh, my fuck that guy for today is a, you know how they have in, like, on TV, you have people who have, like, their uh, recurring characters, and, you know, they, they come up, like, like they, they may not be the star of the show, but they pop up on, like, you know, eight, nine episodes a year. And so I think my Fuck That Guy today is a recurring Fuck That Guy character, and it is the governor from the uh, Don't Mess With Us state, and it is Governor Greg Abbott. And he, on Wednesday, said that he is considering challenging uh, the Supreme Court decision that requires states to offer free public education to all children, including those of undocumented immigrants. And oddly, this came after the uh, after the leaked Roe opinion. Right. And remember, he was the first to ban abortion with SB-8 yes. in August. Yes. And and remember that that law is a tattletale law and, right. you know, tells citizens to rat on their fellow citizens. Uh, something, a very American, you know, thing to do. So, yeah, now now uh, he, he wants to take away, this law is from 1982 that it was passed, so we're talking like 40 years ago, a simple law that says, hey, you've got to educate all your children in the state, and he is discussing trying to challenge that and get rid of that because it's it's very good for a state i think to not educate its kids that's definitely good <laughs> yeah. for all the <laughs> residents of that state right. it's not it's not it's not like having a you know an educated electorate and an educated children is is you know sort of is good for everyone although i guess it's probably not good for republican officials since elected yeah educated people tend to vote the other way more likely yeah. so maybe that's what this is about but anyway it's just like abbott there's guys like at this point it's abbott and desantis and people like that it's like anything they can find that's just mean and cruel and makes them feel like they have a very large penis is is what they're going for. And so for that, I say, fuck that guy. I think that's a good one. So mine is the uh, J.D. Vance Industrial Complex. He won the Ohio primary. Josh Mandel yet again degraded and humiliated himself, which again, that was actually quite fun to watch. But yes. we saw Vance absolutely millions and millions of dollars from he who shall not be named because I don't want to get sued. <laughs> Peter Thiel? No, I can't say it. And ultimately... I think it's Peter Thiel. No, I don't know. Ultimately, <laughs> he won. He's uh, running in, on the, as the opposite of everything he said in 2016. And so I say... <laughs> 
literally the opposite of everything. He yep. ran yep. in 2016 as a David from conservative on 2021. He uh, won his primary as a Marjorie Taylor Greene conservative. And so for that, he and his entire industrial complex gets an enormous fuck you from me. Yeah, I am obviously 100% with you on that. I guess pour one out for poor Josh Mandel. It's like no matter who he <laughs> pretends to be, he just can't win. <laughs> You know? I'm not going to pour uh, anything out for him. No, her. I know. I know. I'm being sarcastic. Mom. Yeah. I mean, fuck that guy. But yes. It's so I, 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 before we go, I have a question for you. So Vance sort of famously was endorsed by Donald Trump, and he was also endorsed by Tucker Carlson. Which one of those do you think was bigger? Oh, I hate this question. Right? It's a good question, though. I, this question makes me want to move to the pineapple <laughs> under the sea. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, okay. they're both... Horrendous. I don't know. Who do you think is bigger? Maybe Tucker. I think Tucker. Yeah. I think yeah, I think Tucker, I don't want to say deserves right more credit, deserves more blame for this than Trump does. I really do think that. I got a thought here. Vance was still behind, though, when Tucker was always pushing him in the polls. That tells me it's Trump. Well, all right. Uh, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> maybe. Uh, <laughs> I hate all of this. I know. I'm sorry I brought it up. On that note, we'll wrap this episode of The New Abnormal from The Daily Beast. In future episodes, we'll be talking to smart folks from The Daily Beast and beyond from media, culture, politics, and science who will help us understand what's happening to our country and the world. We hope you'll subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app and share the show on social media. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again on the next episode. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.